You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we believe your soul is worth the work. Now here, we talk all things life, love, and leadership to help you find healing and be made whole. And today, we're doing just that. But first, can we stop for a second and say, thank you, Jesus? Somebody cue my B3, huh? We made it. Happy New Year, fam. We're officially in 2021. And after the year we have just come out of, that's no small feat. It's a joy to be with you today. Now, this episode, it's going to encourage the stew out of you. You can change. It is possible. And we're going to hear about how. So you ready? Let's work. So it's the first week of January, and we're all about setting goals and making resolutions. Some folk are whipping up their vision boards and trying to pursue their best year yet. But there's another set of us that's a bit more cynical. Perhaps we could blame it on 2020, but I think it's deeper than that. For those of us who have set goals year after year and made resolutions, only to not even make it out of January, sticking with the plans that we were so hype about December 31st, This episode is for you. You ever feel like there's no point in even setting goals because you feel like you're setting yourself up to fail again and disappoint yourself again? Have you ever found yourself hesitant to share your dreams with family and friends because they've heard it all before and they don't believe you? I get it. And trust me, fam, I've been there. I found an old journal of mine. It was like five years old. And I was devastated that some of the goals I had then I still have them now. San, what is you doing, baby? Listen, I'm giving you my confessions. Kindly judge your mom. Most of us, though, we have these pesky things in our lives, whether it be a character issue, an emotional issue, an ongoing indulgence, or a lack of discipline that we want to tighten up. Whatever it is, we've got some things about us that we want to change. And if you don't think you do, live a little longer, friend. So, How and why isn't it working? And when will it ever be fixed? Now, let's be honest. This culture is set up for us to wallow because it's easier to be the victim of our own misdoings to ourselves through reckless choices against our better interests than it is to take responsibility and make better decisions. Plus, it feels really, really good to the flesh when I can blame where I am in life on somebody else's actions, their laziness, their carelessness, their lack of living right. Not mine. There are times when change can feel like a foreign concept. You mean there's actually more to life than this? Whatever your this is, just know we all have one. You're not alone. The scriptures would answer that question with a resounding yes. In my own journey of healing and wholeness, I've learned some things about the process of change, and I'm going to share with you to let you know that not only is it possible, but it's a part of the package as a child of God. Like fam, it's literally designed within the process of salvation, sanctification. Isn't that dope? It seems so simple, but it's necessary to say it and say it often. Jesus didn't save us to leave us the way we are. In our daily walk, we are given the gift of being more like him. And who wouldn't want to be like the greatest, the actual greatest? 
See, it's wild to me, rant time. It's wild to me that we give credence to things the world sees as great, but the scriptures tell us they're not. The Bible says knowledge, not wisdom, but that's a different podcast for a different day. Knowledge puffs up and yet we pursue it as if through knowledge we'll be safe, secured, and seen as significant. Solomon referred to riches as vanity. And yet the way consumerism and greed has gripped the heart of Americans, including those in the church and starting with the church leaders, it's baffling. Psalms 1 lets us know how blessed we'll be based on the company we keep. And yet most of us keep pursuing relationships, friendships, or even admiring folk who are popular, but possess whack personalities without a care for anyone other than themselves. The Bible talks about moderation and living peaceably, and we're overindulging in all the things and wearing pettiness like a badge of honor. How did we get here? Now, listen, hear me healthily. There's nothing wrong with having money or having a lot of it. There's nothing wrong with being intelligent. Critical thinking is needed now more than ever. We all know this. And it's not that we cannot have things or be those things or enjoy our lives but we cannot continue treating those things as if they are the Calvary. Money, power, fame, luxury goods, they will never save us or make us better people. Like putting labels over our bodies doesn't change what's in the heart. I'm being cautious to be clear here because like I said, this episode is meant to encourage you and it's coming, I promise. I'm not bashing any of those things, but it's needed for our souls that we ask why we think we need them. Will the status finally make us great? Will the money make us finally feel secure? Will the massive attention, followers, and likes finally make us feel loved? But through Jesus, we are those things already. For real. We've talked about this before, but this is why our eyes must be fixed on him because it's When we are fixed on him, we can operate from a place of love, security, and greatness, and not for it. Okay, all right, rant over. Let's get back to change. fisherman gives you hope for your tomorrow. Listen up. Story time. You knew it was coming and you knew it was coming off key. (laughs) Meet John. He's got a brother named James. His father is Zebedee and his mom Salome. His dad had a fishing business and during those times you pretty much did whatever your dad did. So John and James were fishermen too. But one day, while working on their nets, this unattractive, strange, but wildly compelling man walks up on them and says just one line, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Instantly, without hesitation or questions, they drop their nets and start following this stranger. He gives the same call to 10 other men. And before you know it, they find themselves walking with the one whose mission is to save the world. And what they don't realize is that because of him, they've been called to change the world. This man's name is Jesus. Jesus gives this group of rough around the edges, 
far from perfect guys' nicknames. Now to John and James, he calls them the Sons of Thunder. Here's why. Because these guys were hot in temperament. John especially developed this reputation as being elitist, proud, and he had a wicked temper. John was also obsessed with greatness. Like, this was a thing for him. And he got it honest. Towards the end of Jesus' life, John's mom pulls him and his brother to get an audience with Jesus. She bows before him and asks if her dear sons can sit on his left and right side when he ascends. Like, ma'am, what? (laughs) What's wilder is when Jesus asks the men if they're willing to drink his cup, they answer him, yes, without reservation, as if they know what it truly takes. The other disciples get indignant, like, are you serious right now? What, are y'all for real? Jesus has to step in and squash it. Read Matthew 4. It's got the juice, man. John is wild. Now in Mark 9, we see his exclusive nature and his need to be great when after Jesus explains to the fellas that in order to be great, they've got to be the greatest servant. John responds to Jesus without even acknowledging his teaching. Instead, he's like, yeah, Jesus. Anyway, there, were, there was this guy, he was casting out demons in your name, but they're not with us, so I told him to stop. Period. Okay, okay, so he didn't say period, <laughs> but he did tell him to stop. And Jesus has to check John. Like, hey, don't stop him. No one can cast out a demon and perform a miracle and then speak evil against me, it's okay. If they're not against us, they're for us. Chill. Then in Luke 9, now this one's my favorite. Jesus is ready. He knows what's coming, so he heads to Jerusalem because it's time for him to die. But he takes a different route by heading through Samaria, a spot where they don't fool up with the Jews at all. Like we're talking 90s hip-hop, East Coast, West Coast, award show acceptance speech type beef. It is thick. So when they see Jesus and his crew walking through, they show no love. They're not received. John is vexed. He's like, oh, y'all can't speak? You're bright and out of <laughs> He basically, he asked Jesus to send fire from heaven to kill them all. Once again, Jesus has to check and rebuke John to remind him, The mission is not vindication. There's nothing to prove here. The mission is salvation through love. And isn't that what he does with us? But look at the language. Look at the teaching. Look at the tenderness that Jesus has with John. He doesn't berate John or make him look dumb in front of the other 11. He doesn't do that with any of the disciples when teaching and correcting them. Because the lesson of love at work is more important than the feeling of power. And yeah, yep, this is your friendly reminder that being mean, willfully intimidating, and brutish with folk was never, ever, ever the way of Jesus. Like, I get it. We all have our moments, but enough. It's not deep of you to damage others. And ministry is not the maligning of Christ's character through meanness. Say la, sugar. Okay, so son, you shared the story of John. What ends up happening with him? Damn, yo, that same thunderous, prideful, hot-tempered John, because of love, because of Christ, becomes John, the writer of some of the most prolific writing in the New Testament. He goes from 
send fire to kill them because they don't like us, to little children love one another. What? He goes from being the son of thunder to being known as the apostle of love. He goes from standing in assurance that he could drink the cup of Jesus' sorrow to expressing that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. To this day, his writing is described as a pool in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim because of his simultaneous depth and simplicity. John put down his pride and changed. Simply put, his transformation became his legacy. And perhaps this is why John's writing is centered around belief. Because through the work of Jesus, John made a complete transformation from anger to peace, from pride to love, lost to found. Yo, this is the gospel. Like, this is the good news. This is the truth that I will follow until I die. Because if the gospel can do that miraculous work in John and Matthew and Peter and Mary and Martha and Paul and the countless others who were once murderers and whores and hateful and unbelieving liars and broken and abused and damaged, people who were told they would never be worth anything and believed it. If the gospel can make a lover out of a fighter and give life to a dead soul, it can do the same thing for you. And for me too. It's only the finished work of Jesus that can love us back to life. When it hits you that you are fully known by God, like, fam, he knows the stuff you promised your own soul you'd never speak of again. He knows the stuff that was done to you and the stuff you did to others that makes you shudder and squirm with shame. He knows it all and he still loves you. This is with a love that won't ever go away. A love that you can't earn if you tried. So stop trying. Now, what does all this mean? It means that our response to this type of love and the opportunity to a different kind of life is to do exactly what John did. It's time to be like John. Live in his love to love like him. Because living like him will cause the change. And being loved by him will change you. Now, I'll wrap this up here. Take heart, fam. Even when it's weird, even when it hurts, even when it seems impossible, you can change. Because you're graced for it. So if you stumble, repent, get up, live, try again, and then try again. Because in the trying, he's going to meet you and give you the fortitude to face what's fighting you so that you can overcome. The heritage of our faith is that our end will always be better than our beginning. This is how we are formed into being more like Jesus. So it's not that you need to change to be loved. It's that you're too loved to stay the same. You've got this because he's got you. Now, here's my question. What one thing will you change in your life this year? Email me. I want to hear your answers. And then I'll share you mine. Thank you so much, fam, for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul-hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. 
Now, would you do me a favor and leave a rating and review if you can? It helps spread the show to more people. Now, I really appreciate that. Check out our website, soulworkwithsan.com. We've got updates coming. We've got more writing and thoughts coming. And we're also on Facebook and IG at soulworkwithsan. Hit me up, email hello at soulworkwithsan.com. And let me know how you're doing and how we can best serve you on the show. That's hello at soulworkwithsahn.com. Let's heal, fam. We're in this together. Now remember, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon.